Bits. A brief podcast before the MA and Tech Conference in Berlin. Welcome to the last episode of Tech Law Bits for now. The conference will start tonight with the speaker's dinner and tomorrow and on Friday morning we will have the session I have been covering with this podcast during the last two weeks. Um, about 380 delegates on 19 roundtables with 19 topics and I have spoken with almost all of the moderators. Um, I have repeatedly mentioned that I will host the table myself, and of course, I won't do this by myself, but have my wonderful co-moderator, Jessica Lee, with me. Uh, Jessica is a partner in the New York office of Loeb and Loeb. Um, welcome, Jessica, and, and please briefly introduce yourself to the crowd. Hi, Martin. Thanks for having me. Uh, yes, Jessica Lee. I chair the privacy practice group at Loeb and Loeb. Uh, we're a U.S. law firm. I work out of the New York office. Um, but obviously, privacy is global. So a lot of our clients have been focusing on these international issues. I also chair the Cybersecurity and Surveillance Committee for the International Bar Association. So I'm very excited to be back with this group in Berlin. And we're excited to have you uh, back and, and, and now uh, um, in my hometown, which is even um, better. Um, to have New Yorkers in Berlin is always a good feeling. We feel much better when New Yorkers are around. So anyway, our, our topic um, um, in the next two days on this session will be data transfer to the U.S. And maybe you can explain to the listeners um, a little bit what's behind the our, our fancy title of data transfer, impact assessment and executive order and what we're going to talk about. Sure. Well, I imagine most of your listeners are well aware, maybe painfully aware of the challenges with cross-border transfers post the Schrems 2 decision. Uh, last October, President Biden in the U.S. issued an executive order that was designed to address the EU's concerns. And that executive order did a number of things, you know, adding additional safeguards for U.S. intelligent activities so that those activities can only be you know, necessary and proportionate. They have to take in, into consideration privacy and civil liberties. Um, you know, it, it added a multi-layer mechanism um, for redress uh, that includes our civil liberties protection officer in the office of the director of national intelligence. And it also creates a data protection review court to provide an independent and binding review of these decisions. Uh, so, you know, big picture, you know, obviously during our talk, we'll get into more detail on this, but we're seeing the U.S., add additional safeguards on top of their surveillance activities, but then also this new court that's meant to um, uh, add an additional layer of, of redress for any concerns that come up with respect to surveillance that impacts EU citizens. So the idea and the hope is that this will um, solve the Schrems 2 problem and you know get us an, an adequacy decision so that cross-border transfers can become more secure going forward and you know you're well aware that EDPB issued a decision that raised some concerns but was largely favorable and the expectation is that this will be approved in the spring so I think our timing is perfect. Timing is absolutely perfect. Um, exactly. We, we actually have a draft adequacy decision of the European Commission now and uh, since December. And um, um, people will uh, actually are discussing now whether this will, if it comes, uh, you know, uh, is it 
finalized whether this will hold in front of the ECJ. As you said, the EDPB um, was, well, slightly less negative than I thought, let's put it this way. Um, and and you remember when we were in Miami at the annual conference, we had a talk by the local data protection officer of Bavaria, who was a little bit in favor, I'd say. And, and that is what we hear from other um, DPAs in um, in Europe. So obviously the main question is, and, and I remember when we recorded a podcast, the two of us or three of us uh, in uh, earlier in, at, at Helsing FM, you were saying Max Schrems is still young. We'll certainly have a Schrems three, <laughs> and, and, and and that is certainly uh, we all we all expect that to happen. And if that happens, what are you what are your feelings? Um, obviously, we have hope, but what are your feelings? The ECJ um, will make of this, or uh, will this hold? You know, I have I have mixed emotions and I hesitate to jump into the predictions game. But, you know, my thought is that this executive order gets closer to the concerns that Max Schrems raised. Um, but if you've read any of his feedback or commentary on the executive order, you know, the impression is that at least from his perspective, there's still those, there's still room to grow, right? Still room for additional safeguards. We haven't changed any of our, any of our laws. I think there's a question mark or maybe a lack of understanding about the role of this new court, right? It's not. Um, you know, it's not like a ninth, it's not like the ninth circuit. It's not a circuit court. It's not a district court, but it's a separate body, but it will, but it still has, um, uh, it still can issue binding decisions. So I think there, there's some miscommunication that can be cleared up from the U S that I think hopefully will strengthen the case, but there's obviously no security with this. So I, I, I can't, when I talk to clients, I can't tell them this adequacy decision will, will certainly stand and will stand, withstand any pressure. So, you know, I think when we're talking to clients, it's about understanding that this is, this measure is progress. I think this solves for some of the key pain points right now, specifically with things like, you know, Google analytics and font tools and, and, and that sort of thing being shut down and not being able to have data flow. I think this solves for that in the short term, but I think long term, you know, I still would counsel companies to look to things like the standard contractual clauses and binding corporate rules, as at least yeah. for right now, I think they offer a little bit more security. Before we come to this, um, uh, how clients, how, what we advise clients or what we think people should advise clients, uh, um, maybe uh, from from the European perspective that, that are not like data protection fundamentalists, um, I would say, hey, you know, the U.S. has moved tremendously to the redress mechanism. And, and, you know, if I hear, well, that's not a proper court. Uh, well, yes, but did we ever check whether the Japanese courts or the Uruguayan courts uh, are proper courts and are completely independent of any influence by governments um, when when uh, issuing adequacy decisions for those countries? So, um, and, and same with surveillance. Yes, there's still surveillance laws in the U.S., but hey, there's surveillance in Europe as well. That's obviously GDPR compliant, or there's no court decisions against this. Um, so I'm I'm always wondering um, uh, why we're so much stricter with the US than uh, with other countries, or even with ourselves. So I, I am slightly optimistic, really. Uh, what the Shrimps three, the expected Shrimps three, maybe somebody else is quicker than him. Um, uh, you know, ruling uh, um, is 
you know, to be expected uh, in front of the ECJ. But of course, you're right. We don't know. Nobody knows. And, and you know, uh, you might as well, well uh, roll dice to uh, foresee what's going to happen. So second point, then, what would we advise clients? You already said, hey, maybe um, still rely on SCCs and, and do your transfer impact assessment. Is that what we would tell them? Sure. I mean, and this is obviously going to depend um, depend on the client and their situation and, and what works for them. Um, before I jump into that, I will say I do appreciate you saying um, it's not clear why the U.S. has come under certain scrutiny, because I think that's uh, the view here as well, that obviously all companies, not all companies, all countries, excuse me, engage in surveillance, right? We There's an, an interest in national security. And obviously that has to have limits to it. But the, I think the U.S. does feel like it's under some unfair spotlight. Uh, so I appreciate at least having that. Well, it's just me. Um, it's just me. So. <laughs> oh, don't sell yourself short. You know? <laughs> All right. Um, but in terms of, you know, going forward, you know, practically what companies should be thinking about, you know, the transfer impact assessment, it's not clear to me if that's really accomplishing anything, right? I think standard contractual clauses um, make sense as a fallback for companies to have. And I do think at least for right now, they've also you know been challenged as well, but seem to have a little bit more security. Depending on your situation, finding corporate rules is a more of a long-term, um, uh, a more of a long-term play, but depending on, again, the structure of your company, that might be a better option. You know, it's hard for me to push transfer impact assessments um, only because it just seems like another paper exercise. And I'm not sure if it really has the impact that most, uh, you know, that it's intended to have. But I do think the exercise of understanding what data you have that could be subject to surveillance, how you would respond, what tools are available to you. I do think that part is is valuable. So I think going through that exercise once as a company and being able to explain that to the parties you're working with makes sense. Um, but I don't like to advocate for um, just paper exercises that don't really don't, don't seem to have. So, it's so so refreshing to hear to hear what you think about it because because obviously we're so used to doing paper exercises we don't even question it anymore <laughs> we just <laughs> we just do it and enjoy being paid for it obviously it's it is uh, wild um, what what the um, well GDPR with with uh, on the one hand and then uh, now after Schrems 2, uh, well, maybe the ECJ um, makes us think about, you know, additional safeguards via paperwork. Hmm, I don't know if that really works. But but I agree, it, it helps, if it helps, you know, making um, uh, the responsible people within a company um, to actually think about what they're doing and what the consequences are of data transfers or of, of data collection in the first place, um, That that's certainly... Um, it can be worthwhile whether it's actually making sense of of creating more stuff and more compliance issues um i don't know if we have bigger issues these days than uh than that that's for sure um anyway uh um looking looking at this whole issue maybe last issue we could touch in this very brief um recording here um looking at the M&A angle to this, what would you say, where um, does data transfer issues come in um, when it comes to uh, transactions, especially in, in technology transactions? Sure. Well, obviously, if you're, you know, if you have one party, if you're in an M&A transaction, one party sitting in the 
EU or in the UK and you have another entity sitting in the US, you have a cross-border data transfer problem to solve. Um, and I think this comes up for companies in the beginning of the transaction, but also in you know post-completion. So if we're if you're about to engage into a transaction, understanding what the implications of that of those cross-border transfers look like. If you're looking to acquire data, you want to bring data from the EU you know, into a US company and to store it on US servers, then you need to have an adequate transfer mechanism, right? So are you going to now um, rely on this adequacy decision? Will you look to standard contractual clauses um, to, to satisfy that? You know, at, Will the combined entity look to submit uh, for approval for binding corporate rules? You know, These are just things that need to be considered prior to going into a transaction. Obviously, another piece of the due diligence is also making sure that the data of the company you're acquiring, you know, has been collected appropriately and all the privacy controls are there. But the bigger picture for the deal, understanding how to structure this um, and being cognizant of some of those cross-border data transfer issues, I think will be important. And then, you know, post-completion, how are you going to structure this company? Again, depending on, it's hard to give broad generals statements because it'll depend on you know the acquiring company where they're sitting and and the, and the nature of the deal but you know if you are you going to keep an EU entity separate for example so that you don't have to deal with cross-border transfers is that going to be workable will the US parent company still be accessing that data and so you'll still need to have some controls in place if you do want to if you're acquiring an EU company and all the data will sit in the US again what is what is that going to look like will you need to go will you need to get consent for those transfers beyond just thinking about things like standard contractual clauses so those are just issues i think companies need to be cognizant of and you know at least for the companies and the types of deals that we we tend to deal with the data you know is a key driving factor that's one of the key assets you're looking to acquire so making sure you can you know get access to that data and use it in a way that benefits the deal is is critical absolutely um well spoken and and i think we'll we'll discuss this with our uh, participants um, on Thursday and Friday. Um, I have been asking everybody, so I will ask you for a small pitch. Why would people um, uh, have to not miss out on our table um, in the roundtable sessions, Jessica? I mean, I can't imagine why anyone wouldn't want to come to the Martin and Jessica show. Obviously, <laughs> Berlin and New York joining forces to talk about cross-border data transfers. I can't imagine why someone would want to skip that opportunity. Um, but as also, as we said at the top, this is really timely, right? This um, the adequacy decision is expected in the spring. And I think it's going to be very helpful to sit around a table and hear colleagues, you know, across the pond in different countries, different member states, how are they thinking about these things? You know, I think Sometimes as lawyers, we're in our, our bubble or our circles, and this is a great opportunity to get out of that and make sure when you're putting deals together that you're cognizant of kind of the global perspective on these issues. Absolutely. Thank you for this. There's nothing to add, especially to the uh, Jessica and Martin show. I like that part a lot. Um, it's going to be great, uh, just as the conference will be. Um, thank you, everybody, for um, taking the time to listen to uh, a few of these episodes. Um, um, if you're not um, uh, attending the conference, obviously it's still worthwhile to, to have a hear um, in other episodes um, what we are actually currently discussing in the M&A and technology world. Um, 
how does this podcast goes on? I, I haven't yet decided. It was a little more work than I thought to put this together. Maybe the, the idea was silly, but hey, at least we, we have something that, that we all listen to. Um, you know, you might want to subscribe to, to receive notifications as to when next episodes are out. Um, yes, thank you very much, Jessica. It was fun to talk to you. See you um, in Berlin tomorrow and uh, or even tonight at the speaker's dinner. And then... Um, um, we will see everybody tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Thanks for um, joining, Jessica. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. Bits. Bits.